Amen. Good to see you. You guys are great. You know that? Look at the person next to you and say, you look good today. Go ahead. It's okay. <laughs> Tell you somebody else that looks good. Our guest speaker this morning, uh, this guy, I have known this guy since uh, we were teenagers, I guess, at uh, Southwestern Assemblies of God University. Glory to God, somebody. Can I get a witness? <laughs> we were good friends um, at, at Southwestern SAGU um, and uh, been friends, well, I guess ever since then. And so we hung out together, he and his wife, Carista. Um, he, he said, I'm glad I came because I like Becky more than you, so I'm glad I got to hang out with, you know, with, with Becky as well. And so that was good. Um, this guy, he, he's done it all. I, you read kind of his bio there in, his, um, in, in the bulletin, and then uh, Pastor Tommy told us as well. Uh, but he, he is from the Brenham area and pastor of church, planted a church in uh, the Rice Village area. And uh, so he, he loves Houston, even though he's living in Oklahoma right now. It's okay. Uh, loves Houston area, loves Texas. Um, and it's, it's been great to hang out with him last night and go hang out with him again today. It was good just to reconnect with, with old friends and good friends. And so I am uh, I'm proud to, uh, to hand over this pulpit to my good friend. Can you make him feel welcome? Ryan Beatty. Hey, good morning, everybody. <clears throat> it is uh, it is good to be here. I'm honored to be here this morning. I've preached here before, and so it's always great to come back to places uh, where you've preached and ministered among the people and seen the people. So, And obviously, I'm so grateful to get the chance uh, to hang out with uh, pastors Adam and Becky, and so thankful for their invitation, invitation this morning. I mean, I'm really just here uh, to hang out with Olivia, Claire, and Juliet, because they are so much cooler than Adam and Becky to begin with. Um, but, uh, you know, it still is It's great to be here this morning, and uh, so thankful. We're going to get right into it this morning, and so I'm going to be preaching from uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 20. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles or Bible apps, uh, I think it's also going to be on the screen, uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 20. Before we get going this morning, uh, I'm going to pray, and I like to do this thing when I preach, uh, and that is, uh, the, pr the way that I like to pray is, I like to give an opportunity, first of all, for you to pray for you, uh, to ask the Lord to open your hearts and your minds to illuminate to you what it is that the Spirit's trying to say, then after a couple of moments, give you a chance to pray for me. Uh, that I can get out of the way of what it is the Spirit's trying to do this morning. Uh, so uh, I like to, that's, that's just the way I like to do it. Uh, and I've got the mic, so we're doing it my way. Uh, so if you would, for a moment, you pray for you, uh, that the Holy Spirit will speak to you this morning. And then after a couple moments, I'm going to invite you to pray for me. So let's pray. Now, if you'd take the same amount of time and pray for me, please. Lord, we give you praise. We lift your name. We are so thankful uh, that you are Emmanuel, God with us in all things. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. 
So as has been mentioned, about a year ago, uh, after a lot of prayer and conversation, my wife, Carista, uh, who is an ordained uh, minister and has been a pastor for 20 years in her own right, uh, she and I stepped out of vocational ministry for a season uh, so that we could uh, rest, uh, but also so that I could uh, pursue doctoral work. Uh, and we felt like the timing was right, the need for rest was present, uh, and that the opportunity which opened for us was spirit-led. So last August, we moved to Norman, Oklahoma, and I began attending and teaching uh, at the University of Oklahoma. And it's really been this incredible experience that I could not have anticipated. Uh, and because I research in the field of organizational communication, I am able to spend all of my time and all of my scholarship focusing on churches, uh, which is just a lot of fun. Uh, and as a benefit of our move uh, and my entry into academia, I have been able uh, to have these extraordinarily fortunate um, months in which I've got to spend around some amazing new people. Uh, the kinds of people I was not encountering uh, or interacting with regularly before. And so many of my new friends, colleagues, and students, they come from all over the world and, with, and they have various backgrounds. Very many of them uh, are not people of our religion or are not people of any religion at all. And I have been able to have several conversations with a number of them concerning life and faith, conversations which have been incredibly refreshing. My friends think about God and Christians and culture and church so different than the way that I do. And they ask questions and bring up topics about our beliefs and our values in ways I've never considered before, mostly because I didn't have to. When you're taught to think about things one way, it takes intellectual disruption and intentional curiosity to think about things from a different perspective. They see both less and more than I do all at the same time, and it's been so fascinating to get to know these students and colleagues, to build relationships with them and to hear their story, their presence enriches my life. And I'm telling you all of this today because in the last year, I came to see how often people who are not of faith or are of different faiths or of a nominal faith are asking questions that we in the church are very often either fumbling or failing to answer well, myself included. As I am listening to my new friends and colleagues, I begin to think deeply about the way I have answered and been taught to answer the questions that they pose to me. And this exercise in self-reflection ended up bringing me back to the very foundational questions of our faith. And one such question has been sitting with me for a couple of months now, which is born out of the hearts of my friends. And what they're saying is, what benefit is it to me to be a Christian? Or as I'd like to think about it, or I like to talk about it, what's so good about the good news? 
Now, I am sure that many of us who are here today who have been in church for a very long time could answer with very strong and eloquent theological answers to the question, what's so good about the good news? Right? Our answers would undoubtedly include the fallen nature of humanity and the redemption of creation through the atonement of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and we would be theologically correct. But what do we say to a 30-year-old who's lived her entire life trying to do good things when they ask, but why do I need to be forgiven? What have I done wrong to the point that I have offended God? Why does God care about what I do so much if I am not hurting others or myself? Because this describes what my friends think they know about the good news. In the minds of my friends, the gospel is a message that God is perpetually disappointed with them and the things that they have done. And if they don't ask for forgiveness, they will go to hell. But what they want to know when they talk to me is whether there is more to being a Christian than this. Is this the only reason they should become a Christian? To avoid a hell that they don't understand and appease a God who seems distant and merciless. And so can I actually express to them what's so good about the good news? So this is going to be our task this morning to explore once again what is so good about the good news. And we are not just going to do this so that you can explain it to those in your life who are like the friends I have in my life. But we're also going to do this because each and every one of us need a reminder sometimes about how good the good news is. Uh, and so today we're going to be reading about the kingdom of heaven and why it's so good. And we're going to do so from the gospel of John chapter 20. And so to set this up for us, John 20 is describing the events of the morning of the third day. After Jesus has been crucified, it is the story of Resurrection Day morning. And so John chapter 20, starting in verse 1, says, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head not lying with the other linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in and saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. 
They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? For whom are you looking? Supposing him to be the gardener. She said to him, Sir, if you had carried away, if you carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. As Christians, we believe the story of humanity begins in a garden. That the God of all creates the universe, sun, moon, stars, and planets. And he calls the earth into being and fills it with water. And the water begins teeming with life. And then he places animals on dry land. And then out of the land he creates humanity. Forms them with dirt using his own hands. And and then gives them life from his very breath. Then those first humans are placed in a garden and invited to be gardeners, to take care of all that God created. And unfortunately for all of creation, they mess up. And sin enters the universe, corrupting all that God has created. Sin, like a cancer, creeps into and corrupts every aspect of creation. And instead of starting over, however, God removes humanity from the garden and we are left to work the earth on our own. Then over the years and in various seasons of human existence, God still speaks and intervenes. God chooses people like Abraham and Sarah, Moses and Joshua, Deborah and Ruth, David and Esther and Daniel to speak to and through and to work with. God makes covenant promises to his people to keep them safe, to provide for their needs, to give them land And ultimately to restore all that was lost. And then comes Jesus. Jesus born into a manger accessible to everyone instead of being born in a palace accessible to no one. Jesus is miraculously born to an unwed teenage mother who said yes to God. And the adopted son of a carpenter of high character in lieu of a politician or religious leader. Jesus preaches the kingdom of God has come. No more waiting. God is now fulfilling his promises. Jesus ministers to and cares for children, the poor, widows, the elderly, the diseased and the unclean. Jesus heals the sick, raises the dead, casts out demons. Jesus teaches the ways of the world are not the ways of the kingdom of God. In God's kingdom, the least are elevated and the greatest are unseated. The powerful are those who serve, not those who are served. Wealth is not a sign of God's favor. Calamity is not a sign of God's wrath. Meekness isn't weakness. Justice is the work of the godly. Peace and not violence are the ways of God. And that God is for all people. God loved them so much he sent Jesus, the complete accurate embodiment of himself, to be the one who restored all they lost. But as those who live in fear always do, the religious 
and the political attempt to rein Jesus in and control him. And when they cannot control or oppress him, they use the power of the state to kill him. But three days later, we find Jesus alive with his friend Mary Magdalene back where it all began, in a garden. Jesus, God who became human, victorious over the grave, risen from the dead, is not found in the temple or in the city courts, among the elites or anywhere else. He is not presenting himself to religious leaders who demanded his execution or the governor who allowed his execution. He's not showing himself to the masses who turned on him. He is in a garden. Jesus reverses the curse of sin, empties hell, kills death, and then restores all all that creation has lost by going back to the garden where he meets a woman, closing the loop and finishing the work, fulfilling the promise of God made in the first garden that while the enemy may strike his heel, Christ will crush his head. God returns to the garden and redeems women and their offspring from the brokenness of the first garden. So what's so good about the good news? The good news is good because it is centered on a gardener God. The good news is good because it is centered on a gardener God. Friends, we serve the gardener God. We have been saved by the gardener God. We have been restored, redeemed, and renewed to life by the gardener God. The one who goes back to where it all started for us. Who was unafraid to revisit the place of humanity's greatest shame. The one who was faithful to us through all seasons of time. Who carefully planted seeds of hope who watered with joy, who was shade for the blistering heat of the enemy's hatred and protection during the cold winters of humanity's shame. The gardener God never condemned or demanded, but patiently waited for the right time, the harvest time, and then sent his son to gather us in. This is who the gardener God is. But why then is any of this good news to my friends who do not know him yet? Because the gardener God is still gardening. Friends, the gardener God is still gardening. My papa was a gardener. My parents have a gardener, uh, have a garden. Many of you probably have a garden or have gardened before. And so you know gardens require attention. They require care. They require the right amount of water. Someone who's going to dig the trenches, pull the weeds, and prune the leaves. In short, they require someone who is unafraid to get in the dirt and work them to their fullest potential. Our God is this kind of gardener. And while those who do not trust God yet may not see the need for forgiveness, all people understand and recognize their need for care. We all encounter life tragedies. We all get overwhelmed and need support and care at times. We all know trauma. We all feel loneliness, betrayal, and loss. We all need someone in our lives 
uh, who will get down, who when we have made poor decisions or are suffering under the weight of calamity, not our own making, who will help us, who will be present with us to brush us off and to help us out, who is not afraid of our dirt, one who is not repulsed by our mud. Aren't you glad Jesus isn't afraid of your dirt? Jesus literally left heaven and put dirt on. The incarnate God was uh, uh, forever and holy, began existing as dirt with and for us. Unconcerned with our shame, Jesus jumps into the filth of our lives and works us like a garden. Christ pulls the weeds and through the Spirit offers us love, hope, and joy when none seems to be found. Through the Spirit, Christ brings us friends and moves the church to supply each other's needs, nourishing us. This was the witness of the post-Pentecost Acts 2 church that they had everything in common. Nobody lacked because they would sell what they had to take care of each other. Through the Spirit and through the church, Christ meets our needs tends to our broken places, offers us comfort and encouragement, and does not give up on us. God has never stopped being a gardener, not for all of humanity and not for you and me. Mary needed to experience God the gardener that day. We need to know Jesus as gardener. I need God to be gardener. It is good news that God is a gardener because there are areas of my life that still need care, still need attention, tender spots where I have been wounded and need healing, places and times when I need help, when I need encouragement, when I need support, areas that, will, that still need growth, that need pruning. Believe it or not, I am not always a nice person. I can be mean sometimes, inconsiderate, selfish, greedy, and Jesus continues to work on those places in me through the power of the Spirit and His church, all the while being patient, gentle, and loving towards us. Is God God? Yes. Is God King? Yes. Is God Lord? Yes. Is God ruler of all? Absolutely. Has God forgiven our sins? No question. God is the all-capable, all-knowing, and ever-present power in the universe. And yet, He postures Himself as a gardener to have a hand in and do the dirty work in our lives. This is good news. He is the loving, accessible, and patient one who is uncompromised with our dirt. And God is not done gardening. He is continuing to garden us, and He is gardening the world. He is still working in and on us and on His creation, drawing us closer to Him. The question I have for us today is whether or not we are willing to emulate God's posture. We would be amiss to forget that in the first garden, God handed the job over to us and we failed miserably. But now, 
We are empowered by the Spirit of Christ. We, Pentecostal people, have the power of the Holy Spirit in us and working through us, ever present beside us to pick us up and to pick this work up anew and to garden our lives and garden the lives of those around us as Christ has shown us with love, joy, mercy, patience, care, justice, kindness, and gentleness. The good of the good news doesn't stop with who God is. It also includes who we get to become in Him. And if we were paying attention at all this week to what was happening in our country, we would know that now is the time we must partner with the gardener God to bring hope and healing. The people around us feel hopeless. They feel betrayed. Many are angry. Many are scared. They need encouragement. A gentle and loving church offering a clear example of hope on behalf of a gentle and loving God. Being a gardener includes sacrifice for the sake of the garden. Gardeners toil and sweat. They get smelly and dirty and sunburnt. They end up with sore backs, achy knees, and calloused hands. Gardeners forsake spending time and energy doing other things to see the garden produce. But good gardeners will do it for the sake of the good fruit they know can come from those gardens. That's what Christ does in us and that's what we are invited to do with and through the Spirit of God in our lives. Patient, gentle, loving, hardworking, self-sacrificing care of the world around us. So the question then becomes, do we want to show the world how good the good news is? Do we want to live out the hope provided by the gardener God and in partnership with the work that he's doing? If so, there's all kinds of things that we can do. But in light of what happened this week, may I suggest you consider getting trained to be a court-appointed special advocate or guardian at litem for a foster kid. Be a foster family or get trained to provide respite care. Volunteer at a royal family kids camp. Provide child care for parents working toward reunification. Adopt. Open your home to an unwed pregnant woman. Babysit for free for a single parent. Volunteer at crisis pregnancy centers. And decide today that your church will be a house that welcomes, supports, cares for, takes ownership of, and celebrates life no matter the circumstances of its conception. You want to garden with God this week? Those are some pretty good places we can start. There can be no roots of shame allowed to remain in God's garden of hope. I'm going to say that again. There can be no roots of shame allowed to remain in God's garden of hope. The good news is both an invitation to allow God to be the gardener of your soul, but also to garden alongside the gardener God. For us to partner with Christ through the Spirit and His church to bear the attractive fruit of life in the kingdom 
of the gardener God. To live out the Lord's prayer that God's kingdom come and be on earth as it is in heaven. Not as an end time realization only, but a prayer for now. Today let's proclaim and partner with the lovely gardener God who meets us where we are and gently draws us into his loving care. Let us live into and share his hope with the world around us and let's commit to being, the, to being fearless in the face of our own dirt and the dirt of our neighbors. What's so good about the good news gospel is good news because Jesus Christ, the gardener God, still tends in creation a garden of hope for the restoration of all things. Let's pray. Gardener God, we lay ourselves before you today thanking you that you are constantly tending to our lives. Holy Spirit, help us not to fight you when you are working in our souls, when you are tending us. Help us not to fight you, but to let you do the work to pull the weeds, to plant the seeds, to water, to nourish, to shade, and to help us grow. Also, God, we pray that you would help us to partner with you. That we would, starting this day, look for ways you are at work in the world around us and choose to partner with those ways you are working. The, spirit, the, the scriptures say, God, that your spirit goes before us. And so we trust that the places we are walking into, you are already there. That you are already there. And so help us, God, to see where you are inviting us to partner with your gardening as you continue the restoration of all things. We give you praise and glory, gardener God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, 